Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We called it snuff in my day, but I figured I'd update my language for the internet crowd. Most people are familiar with the acronym NSFW. It stands for Not Safe at Work, the one that's usually stamped over vanilla porn, nudes, etc., to keep you from clicking on something you're not supposed to. NSFL is one step from that. It means not safe for life. From what I understand, it's usually tagged over images or videos of highly upsetting nature. Take an execution video, for example. Some unlucky schmuck getting flayed alive, or chainsawed apart while he's still screaming. Or machete hacked limb by limb by guys in black masks. You'll see the NSFL tag before you click the video, so you know to stay away if you want to hold down your lunch. Ever wonder who these videos are made for? Of course you have, and the answer probably sends goosebumps sprouting up all over your skin. They're made for teachers, parents, friends, bus drivers, politicians, bankers. They're made for people who get off on it. People who get a warm tingle down south at the sight of a serrated knife running through an unprotected neck. The great rush of blood around the blade. The gurgle of the dying. It gets them hot and bothered. People love it. Nowadays, you can find most of it on the internet. Animals being thrown off roofs, torched alive and drowned. All of that stuff is just a few clicks away. But back in the 1990s and early 2000s, it was harder to come by. Rare shit like a foreign movie you've been itching to see that hadn't gotten a local release. These were foreign films to some. Exotic may be a better word. Either way, I didn't realise there was such a market for the depraved until I took a job at the Video Kingdom, a local video store on the outskirts of Sydney. I'm hesitant to tell you exactly where. It closed down right around the time the economy imploded but I'm fairly certain some of our stock might be hidden away in the dungeon. That's what we called our back room, the dungeon. Some guy would come in, usually some white-collar sap with a Ned Flanders haircut and three kids at home. He'd trundle up to the counter, looking around like there might be the FBI crouched behind the VHS stands. And he'd say, I'm here to rent a rare film. The Dungeon by Carl Hinton. There would be an exchange of glances. I'd look him up and down, pretend like I was sizing the guy up, you know. He'd scan the place nervously, looking back at me with almost an apologetic expression that said, I swear I'm not fucked up. I'd shrug and lead him through the velvet curtain into the back room. 
we'd navigate boxes of VHS rentals. I'd pull aside the industrial shelf that concealed a hidden doorway and then lead him down a flight of stairs. We'd hit the subterranean level and the guy's eyes would turn to saucers, a hard-on tenting his pants as he wandered around the sicko's paradise. Welcome to the dungeon. I bet you're picturing some dimly lit hellhole stashed with black unmarked videotapes. Not this place. This was a classy establishment. Carpeted, panelled walls, leather chairs. Dimly lit, sure, but like a cigar lounge was dimly lit. We had back rooms with TVs so the clients could taste whatever they had chosen from the vast array of tapes. There were dozens of categories, like any regular video store, featuring everything under the sun. We had a whole section dedicated exclusively to people being run over by steamrollers. They were sourced from all over the world. I was told mostly Eastern European, Asian. I took it as gospel. I hadn't watched any of the stuff. It should be noted that anything relating to kids was forbidden. That was where we drew the line. And if some guy came in asking for that, we'd send a few heavies to his house with knuckle busters and orders to maim. We were scrupulous, a morally inclined organisation. But everything else? It was fair game. I know you're probably thinking I'm some mentally warped scumbag drifting through life one slaughter video after the next. But you'd be wrong. I never watched the tapes. Never joined up to sell them either. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I was 22 the winter I started working at Video Kingdom. And by the time Halloween rolled around, the owner of the place had roped me into his sick scheme. By that point, I was in too deep to get out. He had me by the scuff of the ugly knife tucked against my jugular, metaphorically speaking. I'm going to spare you the story of how I got involved. It's long and it's boring. and involves me seeing something I shouldn't have while smoking weed in the storage room after work. But the story of how I quit, that's much more interesting. I'm here to rent a rare film, he said. The Dungeon by Carl Hinton. I could tell this guy was bad news. He looked like he was grown somewhere dark and moist. A basement-dwelling freak. Crusty, slightly overweight. Enough grease in his hair to keep the McDonald's fryer running for a year. Big Van Helsing-style leather overcoat. Combat boots. Unlike most folks, he wasn't nervous either. He was confident, smug even. I could tell he was a veteran. That gave me pause. I was sharing air with no run-of-the-mill freak. This guy was one step away from making his own tapes. If I'd only known, I would have said, Sorry, sir, we don't carry that. That's what we fed to unscrupulous figures. It was at the clerk's discretion. We had permission to turn away anyone we wanted. But I didn't. I gave him the up-down. He never broke eye contact. His eyes were bright, amused, as if they were alive, like two black pools of oil just waiting for a spark. I swallowed. Right this way, I said. 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. He knew his way around the dungeon. That was odd. I'd never seen this fucker before, and if he'd been a regular, I would have known. There were a few other people browsing, one guy who looked like a wet muskrat, another who was at least 400 pounds. There was a woman too, a real dominatrix type, over six feet, hard features, prim hairdo. My guy didn't spare a glance at any of them. He hurried into the vault. That was what we called the old school vault door, tucked into the back corner of the dungeon. It had a wheel handle with a combination dial in the centre. All that remained of the bank that used to live here. I had never been through the vault door, didn't even know what was on the other side. I honestly thought it was just there for decoration, for atmosphere. In my six months as an employee of Video Kingdom, this was the first time I'd ever seen it open. The guy spun the combination, hiding his activity behind a cupped arm, like that annoying kid in class who wouldn't let you copy off his test. I heard a heavy click. He cranked the handle and the vault door wheezed open. The skeevy guy slipped behind, slamming it shut before I got a good look at what stood beyond. It nagged the hell out of me, like that itch you can't scratch. I had to know what was beyond that door, but I knew better than to ask questions in a place like this. I was the highest paid video store clerk in the world for a reason. I could have went to Carl, Carl as in The Dungeon by Carl Hinton. Fake name, obviously, but a real enough guy. He was short, big personality, like a Danny DeVito type. I'd only met him a few times, but he always treated me like a daughter. Slaps on the back, mussing my hair. But I didn't go to Carl, because asking questions meant I was curious. And you don't get curious unless you're interested in the merchandise. So, I decided to check it out on my own. Christmas Eve, slowest night of the year. I was clerking the dungeon while my colleague ran upstairs. It had been empty for a while, so I decided to take a peek. Had I known the guy from a few months ago would be showing up, the one I saw enter the vault, I would have kept my ass glued to the chair. I wouldn't have gotten curious. What was the fucking combination? I tried a few random spins. 11, 22, 63, JFK assassination, 4, 20, 1889, Hitler's birthday, no dice, the vault was locked up like a nun's underwear, I thought, racked my brain, then it hit me like a freight train, the Kissinger tape. That was one of our videos I had seen. 
Carl made all the newcomers watch it. It was the first known snuff film. It was like the Santa Claus of the forbidden VHS community. A white well, rare and iconic. Anyone who's familiar with it and worth their stuff can tell you what day it was filmed on. It was easy. Thanksgiving 1929. I remember watching it for the first time. A nightmare. A galaxy of grain shooting across each gory frame. I won't tell you what's on it. Well, what the hell? It stars a family of Depression-era farmers tied up in a field. Ma, Pa, Grandma, Grandpa and two gangly teenage boys on the wrong end of their horse-pulled plough. Story goes they had some beef with one of the big corporations who owned their land. That was how the man got you back then. You sold some of your land to loan some money to buy seed or whatever. And once you took the loan out, there was no getting out from under them. The corporations would twist and squeeze until you owned nothing but the clothes on your back. Papa was clever. He figured it out. Started a union with all the farmers to expose the banks. But banks didn't like that. So they hired some outside hands to make an example. And it was made at 24 frames a second. Now here I was, some 50 years later, spinning their death date on a dial. I spun to 29 and heard a satisfying click. It had fucking worked. My hand was shaking trembling a little. Shot with adrenaline, I gripped the vault's handle and spun the wheel. The vault door wheezed open. Stale air and darkness spilled out. There was a bucket of flashlights on the floor. I grabbed one and clicked it on. A cone of light shot ahead, illuminating the bank vault. Metal walls crushed in. Pegs drilled into the walls held various weapons. It was like a fucked up toy box. Guns, knives, razor wire, chainsaws, hacksaws. Everything that cuts and scrapes and plays with nerve endings were hanging from the walls. There was a pit in my stomach. Not just looking at the collection of tools, but the gaping hole eating through the back wall of the vault. It had been tunnelled through the flowered steel, a narrow rocky corridor snaking off into the earth. I inched towards it, hesitant, my heart beating its fist against my eardrums. I grabbed a scalpel off the wall, tucked it into my pocket as I moved into the corridor, figuring I might need a weapon for what loomed ahead. I left the vault door cracked, listening for any movement beyond. I didn't hear the basement-dwelling guy from before enter the dungeon, didn't hear him follow me into the vault. I'd already found my way into the studio by then. The passageway was rocky and claustrophobic, just tall enough so I didn't have to stoop. After 20 minutes of hitting my shins and elbows on the narrow, craggy walls, I hit a dead end. I excelled, irritated and relieved. A horse race of thoughts had been galloping through my head as to what I might find. I was glad my worst nightmares weren't about to be materialised. Then I looked closer and saw a false panel blocking off the egress. I moved the panel aside and stepped forward, finding myself in a crowded basement space. 
There were furniture, beds, set pieces stacked high. It was like a prop house that a movie studio might employ for set design. There was a concrete ramp at one end. I hesitated, not sure I wanted to see what it led to. But of course I did. I negotiated the crowded room up the concrete ramp. It fed me into a soundstage. It was a wide, warehouse-like space with soundproof walls and a network of dead overhead lights surrounding a number of different movie sets. There was a pink bedroom, an executive-type office, an outdoor-style scene in a mock forest. There were a few others I couldn't quite decipher from my vantage. It was quiet. And then it wasn't. There was a delicate sound, like a cat caught in a snare. A slight whimpering laced into the silence. My whole body felt heavy, like it was encased in drying concrete. It was hard to move, breathe. I inched towards the noise. Hyper aware of every movement, every crash thud of my heart, every breath soaring through my lungs... I nosed towards the whimpers and saw cages resolve out of the gloom. Lots of them. A dozen, maybe two. Inside, like tired, broken animals, were men and women. Naked, cuffed, ball-gagged, curled up in a soup of their own filth. Most were limp and unconscious. A few were bleary, nodding in and out of consciousness, as whatever drugs they were on wore out. An icy bolt of dread shot through me. We weren't just a supplier of rare tapes. We weren't just a distributor. We were a producer. Carl Hinton made our videos. Most of them, at least. I heard footsteps behind me. Started to turn. Thud. Something hard and blunt cracked across my skull. A light bulb popped behind my eyes. I crashed down into darkness. I knew my hands and legs were restrained, even before I opened my eyes. I could feel the cuffs digging into my flesh. My eyes eased open. Blinding light hammered my pupils. A violent white light from overhead. It hurt my eyes, stung them. Slowly, a movie set resolved around me. It was a beige office, crowded with paperwork and boxes of VHS tapes. I recognised it immediately. It was a copy of Carl's office, an exact detail-for-detail replica. A camera locked off in one corner, trained on me. I looked down at myself. I was still in my work uniform. Hands and legs tethered to a bolted-down chair. I struggled, groaned, heard hushed voices... My back was to the door, so I had to fight in my seat for enough leverage to look around. The door opened. Carl Hinton entered. For an instant, I saw past him into the area beyond the set. I saw the greasy basement dweller with a suit who was handing over a pregnant duffel bag. Then the door swung shut, and Carl took his place behind his desk. Sorry it had to be like this, kid, he said sadly but it would have ended here either way. We don't do severance at Video Kingdom. He smiled at his little joke, 
like it was the funniest thing in the world. I tried to ask him what the fuck was going on, but I couldn't. I was gagged. Muted syllables escaped, and Carl frowned. Don't bother, kid. You're fired. That's a segment we do from time to time, when employees of the dungeon hit expiration. You're fired. We don't stock it at the Video Kingdom, for obvious reasons, but I hear it's a big hit in Japan. I struggled against the binds, fought, screamed into my gag. Carl just watched, slightly amused. Go on, keep it up. They love it. You know they do. You're giving them what they want. I fought harder, rattling at my binds until my wrists bled. Carl sighed. The guy who's going to fix you is a regular, real vanilla Joe, but he pays well. He'll saw open your throat, one and done. You won't suffer. I screamed something into my gag. He smiled, piecing together my question. No one's coming to look for you. We're processing your paperwork like you got fired two weeks ago. I liked you, kid. I really did. Sorry it had to be like this. He got up and left. I struggled for a while, not sure how long. At some point, the guy in the suit passed through the door like a cold draft. A real plain guy. Might sell insurance, maybe real estate. Probably has a wife and a few pups back at home. Maybe a pool. He fingered the camera. The red recording light blinked on. With a sigh that said, Sheesh, this is not the position I wanted to be in. He claimed the spot behind the desk, pretending to be my boss. He was practically vibrating with excitement as he started through a poorly written script about how my employment was being terminated. I didn't hear any of it. I was focused on something else. The scalpel I had tucked in my back pocket. My hands grazed the handle, just out of reach. I strained harder, vaguely aware that the guy was done talking. He was rising now, producing a big bowie knife with a serrated blade. He was walking over to me. I could smell his aftershave, something minty. I got the scalpel between the tips of my fingers. He yanked my head back, exposing my neck, getting ready to slice through the big net of veins pumping blood to my brain. The bowie knife went up. The scalpel slid out, slipped, fell. I reached out and grabbed it just in time. The bowie knife came down. I saw a wink of light of its polished blade. I gripped the scalpel and I stabbed. It was a blind stab, inhibited by my lack of wrist movement. But he was right behind me, and standing crutch level within the arc of my swing. The scalpel sunk through hot flesh. I felt it borrow through skin and gristle. I felt something pop as it sunk in further. When he screamed and the bowie knife went tumbling, I knew I had caught him in the testicle. I fumbled the scalpel, nearly dropped it. It was greasy with blood and seminal fluid. I got my grip on it, plunged it into the handcuff lock, worked it around. Click. The handcuff sprung, fell away. The suit was rolling around, groping his groin. Blood roared through his fingers. 
He was howling in agony. I bent down for my leg restraints as the door flew open. Carl and the basement dweller tried to rush in at the same time. They got stuck in the doorway. It was a bit of slapstick, which would have been comical, had I not been on the wrong end of a snuff movie. My leg restraints fell free. By now, Carl and the basement-dwelling Van Helsing had stormed into the room. My scalpel flew up, caught Van Helsing in the jugular. He flopped back, a great spray of blood shooting from his neck. Carl grabbed me, shoved me back. We hit a wall. Framed pictures of the ocean hit the floor and shattered. Carl throttled my neck, his knuckles digging in and sealing off my windpipe. I stabbed blindly. The scalpel went through his cheek with sickening ease. I ripped open. A mist of blood sneezed out, as if I was opening his face like a zipper. He grunted, howled, lost his grip on my neck. His hands went up to his face, trying to wrench free the scalpel embedded there. I planted my foot in Carl's stomach and kicked with everything I could muster. He flew back, toppling ass over tea kettle over his desk. I heard bones break. The room was a mess of screams and blood. I popped the VHS tape out of the camera and bolted for freedom. I was about to stuff it into my pocket when my gaze caught the duffel bag I had seen the suit hand over. I ripped it open and was met with cash. Lots of it. Enough to run away, enough to start anew. I shoved in the VHS and grabbed the duffel, never looking back. I don't know if any of them survived. I do know the video kingdom remained open. It held its spot in the Sydney Yellow Pages until it closed. I would send for the book each year, have the mallet to my little corner of bumfuck nowhere, along with a newspaper which I would pour over for articles about my old boss. I never saw any. Since then, I've lived like the Unabomber. My world is limited to the quiet cabin in the woods and my weekly trip to town for essentials. Otherwise, I keep to myself, always looking over my shoulder, always carrying the guilt over those men and women I left behind, guilt over the things I hadn't done about what I've seen. You probably think I would have gone to the police, but I didn't. I took the tape and ran. Had I handed over the footage, I would have lost all leverage against the people who want me dead. That VHS is my bargaining chip, all I have left. After I escaped the dungeon, I mailed an anonymous letter to Video Kingdom, telling them I'd made copies, which would be screening in every police department in Sydney, if I was ever harmed. This was a lie. There was only one copy of the tape, and it was hiding in a shoebox under my bed, along with a little cash I had left. I am recording this today because I've been seeing strange things lately. Fresh faces in town. SUVs with tinted windows. I can't help but feel they're following me. Watching. And sometimes, if I stare at those tinted windows long enough, I can see the eye of a video camera on the other side. <laughs> 